Hello and welcome to this Chamber Conversation. Today I'm so fortunate to be joined by Amjid Kazir of Media Cultured and Education and Training Group to talk about inclusion and what businesses can do to increase diversity. Hello Amjid, welcome. Hello okay. thank you for having me, it's a pleasure, uh, looking forward to today. Absolutely fine and we're so pleased to be able to hear your story. Before we get into the, the substance of our podcast, could you tell me a bit of a brief introduction about your own career background and your business, please? Yeah, of course. So born and raised right here in Teesside. I haven't graduated from Teesside University a long time ago now. Worked for a short time in PR uh, and in communications as an SEO. Uh, post that uh, stint of work, post my uh, graduation, Alongside that, actually, I was uh, volunteering at sort of the local mosque level and the community level just to make sure that in terms of inclusion around sport and preventing racism and extremism, that we were doing what we could. And then that led me to uh, work sort of locally at the council level and stakeholder level in terms of understanding where racism and prejudice comes from. That took me to a couple of meetings with government. And then sadly and tragically, after 2011, post the death of my uncle Zabair, after what police believed was a racist assault. Um, my uncle passed away after an incident in 2011. I decided that voluntary work and, uh, you know, kind of the ad hoc nature of that work wasn't going to be enough. So I looked to establish a sort of a, a, a way forward in terms of using film, sport and education to tackle racism of all forms. So Media Culture was established in 2012. And uh, as we all know, it's uh, the kind of work that we do now is very much in need. Absolutely. And I know you're doing fantastic work with the places like Middlesbrough Football Club who have really transformed the, their own culture th through your work. One of the things I thought would be useful to start with, though, when people listen to this, I think diversity inclusion probably means different things to different people. So could we start with you saying what that means to you? Absolutely. I think often when we hear the words diversity and inclusion, well, not me personally, but many people roll their eyes and think, oh God, another training session. But what it means to me is just recognising the, the societies that we live in, the globalised world that we live in, a planet that's been made that much smaller by colonialism, by industrialization, by the growth in technology. The fact is, we live in a planet now where, on a planet now where, People from all races, colours, creeds, backgrounds, genders mix and are coming across each other every single day. And we have our own needs, uh, you know, our own cultural understanding of certain issues, our social beliefs, our religious beliefs. So for me, diversity and inclusion means, yes, it means representation in terms of a numbers level, but it also means providing the, the, the mechanisms and the 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 provisions at every level, school, college, business, education, and in government, where everyone, regardless of their background, their color, their religious beliefs, or identity, uh, which is a, a huge word in and of itself, is treated with respect and with dignity and not treated as any less than anyone else. And I know that's a, a big ask, but for me, that's what diversity and inclusion should aim to be and hopes to be, but isn't right now. I think that's such a great point. But one of the things that anybody listening might be interested in and thinking, well, it's all very well to be like a kind and inclusive company, but are there other benefits? Because like hard, hard line benefits that, that you think that would come to a company? Because obviously we all want to work for a great employer that looks after their staff, that's super. But if an employee's got a hard hat on and thinks, 
but actually, or how do the numbers stack up if I become more inclusive? Well, absolutely. I think it's a brilliant question. Look at the biggest companies in the world, the likes of the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Nikes. A lot of these companies, blue chip companies, have recognized the power in terms of their economic model of having a diverse workforce, going out of their way to recruit differently, going out of their way to make sure their inclusion agenda meets modern day needs. And it has a direct benefit to the economic model of companies all around the world. The companies that are doing it better are achieving better results. And ultimately, when we, you know, when we talk about industries like construction and IT, if your employees feel comfortable at the workplace, they feel welcome at the workplace, it feels like it belongs to them. I'm a Middlesbrough lad, I feel like a Middlesbrough lad. If I work for a Middlesbrough company and I want that company to succeed, and I feel like it's doing its best to, you know, meet, meet, meet me halfway at least in terms of my needs around Ramadan, around Eid, uh, around any cultural or social issues that I might have that are different to non-Muslims in that company, I believe I'm going to put more back into that company Yes, I already have that South Asian work ethic instilled in me by my family, my parents, and it comes out of, you know, with 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 us as, as people in terms of you've got to work hard. But if your company is representative and it's inclusive and diverse and it meets the needs of the day and recognizes where they can improve and it works with its employees and its partners and its local stakeholders, I think not only will you have a better economic model, but you'll have a better morale in business. And I, I don't think it's any secret that the better the morale at a workplace, the better the output. So for me, it, it makes, you know, two plus two equals four. It makes complete sense to do the right thing by your employees. I was speaking to Arna Basu of Chromec about a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, he was stressing the importance of having a diverse senior management team, because he said you get such massive innovative ideas through having diversity, as opposed to say having a management structure that is one particular gender, one particular background. And obviously without probably even necessarily realizing it, you're going to get a very sort of same level of thinking. So if you, if you get people from perhaps all over the world with all different backgrounds, that kind of melting pot I could imagine would be fantastic for, for innovative ideas. Yeah, again, okay, the, the statistics have proven, the research has proven, the more eclectic, the, the more diverse, the board level of a company, the more ideas, as you say, that are coming from different parts of the world and different social backgrounds, it brings together the very the best of people. And again, I emphasize and I, I amplify that we have the likes of, uh, you know, the biggest companies in the world using diversity deliberately to improve their economic model because it brings together the best of humankind. Yesterday, we were fortunate enough to have a talk by Harry Shukler, who um, was lead of Tainawea Racial and Diversity. Um, have you come across him before? He's a fantastic gentleman. We've never met. Uh, I do know of his work. It's great, excellent work. Uh, we've never actually met and spoken in person, but I'd, obviously I'd love to meet him one day. Yeah. Well, he was giving us some really good examples of how companies could be inclusive. And some of them were quite simple. So for example, he was saying, if it was Eid, just to put on the staff notes board, have a happy Eid, and gestures like that, he said, can really make a difference to the workforce. I just wondered how you thought people could promote inclusion as part of their culture. Well, that's, again, I think we shouldn't necessarily need to promote it, but we should just recognise it. And little little markers like that, putting Eid, on, Eid Mubarak on the whiteboard, letting people know, allowing your 
compatriots in your workplace to ask you a question. What is Eid? How do you celebrate it? Why do you celebrate it? Why do some countries do it on a different day to others? You know, just ask the question. You get to learn. I think if you take it as a personal development, a personal learning and development, to ask questions about Hanukkah, about Vesaki, uh, about all of the various Diwali, all of the various holidays and different cultures around the world, the foods that we eat, the languages that we speak, you know, the sort of the social and cultural norms, the differences that we have. This just makes the workplace a better place and it makes you personally a better person. And I think from my experience when I've in the past been asked about Eid at work, you know, I've been asked about my beard, I've been asked about the niqab, about the differences between Hinduism, Sikhism and Islam, the three huge Asian subcontinent religions. You know, I think it's helped the growth and development of not only me as a person, but my my uh, colleagues as well. Actually, um, excuse my ignorance, I don't really know what Eid is. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So take the opportunity to please tell me all about it and then I can help you celebrate it. Oh, thank you. Well, either the two, uh, two holidays that Muslims celebrate every year. So kind of like our Christmas, but it's a, it's a seasonal thing. Now, the Islamic religion follows a lunar calendar. So for that reason, our months and when the beginning of our months changes every six, every 30 or so days, 29 and 30 days, in the course of a year, we'll have two Eids. One follows the holy month of Ramadan, where we've been fasting. I think most people know and have heard about yeah. Ramadan. When we fast from sunset to, uh, to sundown, from uh, sunrise to sundown. And the second Eid, so the first one is called Eid al-Fitr, and the second one is called Eid al-Adha, or as we call them, Little Eid and Big Eid. <laughs> uh, that's what the kids call them and so the second one is celebrated after the Hajj pilgrimage where Muslims all around the world gathered at Mecca to perform one of their five pillars which is a pilgrimage to Mecca uh, which is kind of a 10-day religious uh, event and then once that's finished we have the second Eid which typically lands about 10 to 11 weeks after the first Eid. So if we could, do, if you don't mind, just explain to me as well. I know that in Ramadan people fast. Is is that out of respect? No, but fasting is one of the key pillars of Islamic faith. It is uh, what we call psalm. Uh, we do it as an observance to and an adherence to the belief in God. You know, our God, uh, the Muslims we call God Allah. Uh, he doesn't demand that we fast, but he's prescribed for us to fast as long as we are able to do so of healthy mind of body. Uh, in terms of our travel restrictions, if we can fast, we should fast, and it has huge benefits. But in, you know, in terms of your health, but the spiritual benefits are just incredible. And what we'll find is, in the month of Ramadan, everyone's maybe because they've got less caffeine in the system. Let's be fair, are less edgy. Uh, they uh, some people say, you know, does it reduce uh, output in terms of work? I actually find Ramadan helps me improve in terms of my output because I'm not taking time off for a long lunch. <laughs> so you know, I'm actually working that bit harder. I'm a bit more, you know, in tune with my soul. What would the Muslims call the fitra? I'm doing as an observance to God, who I believe in, who I've not been compelled to believe in, who I've chosen to believe in, who's then prescribed for me some uh, rulings which I should follow. And then Ramadan and fasting comes as part of the agreement. Uh, just like if I work for a particular employee, a employer. They'd ask you to dress a particular way, turn up at a particular time, take your breaks at a particular time. You know, you'd have to book in holidays in advance, all that. So we sign up to, you know, believing as Muslims. We don't believe blindly. And once we have signed up and we believe, fasting is prescribed to us and we follow it accordingly. 
in the time that you've had your own business, do you think there's a bigger appetite for companies to embrace ways of becoming more diverse? Because obviously Black Lives Matter and the awful racism after the England football team has really brought us to the fore again. I think the conversation's happening here. Uh, I'll be very, very honest. I don't think a lot of the companies, especially the ones I've spoken to, really know what they want to do next. You know, it's all in the news. A lot of lip service has been paid in terms of, yes, we've got to improve diversity and inclusion. Yes, we all want to tackle racism. Yes, we're all aboard by the scenes, George Floyd. We want to have that conversation about Black Lives Matter. We want to talk post-Brexit about immigration. But how does that actually logistically and mechanically happen in the workplace? What uh, measures have companies put in place to improve their diversity and inclusion model and their training? Is it just part of the HR remit? Are they doing it to tick a box? Have they stuck a couple of posters up and said, these are the protected characteristics? There's definitely an appetite out there, the conversations out there. But for me, right now, locally and nationally, we're not seeing the changes and the required changes that we need as and in inverted commas, as someone who's in the field as an expert, I still find that we're having the same conversations we were having 24 months, 36 months, 10 years ago. You know, and some people, to be honest, and they're still quite reticent to make changes. They feel like they're being forced to talk about inclusion and diversity, but it shouldn't be like that. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, diversity and equality in the makeup of humankind is just a fact of life. There's a big planet, 8 billion of us, and we come from different backgrounds. And for us to meet the social challenges of the day around racism, around inclusion and diversity, things have got to improve at the uh, employee level and at the education level in academia, in schools and colleges. The raft, root and brand changes need to be made and improvements need to be made, but not to, you know, not to slap anyone around the side of the head and say, you could do better, just to make the world, and those are cliches as it might sound, make the world a nicer, more welcoming place for everyone. There's so much polarization out there, otherness and division, culture wars, social media is fed into that, the kind of, you know, people banging their heads against a big brick wall, Twitter uh, sort of taking a stand, you know. We don't need to be woke. Uh, we don't need to have labels like woke or we don't need to have what's it called cancel culture. You know, these are the things that are dividing people further for me. Yes, some things need to be cancelled. Certain things you need to be awoke, awoken to. But you be, in terms of employers you need to be able to have conversations you need to have safe spaces where taboo topics are not criminalized people might ask a question people might hold a different belief to you completely they might think the fact that i'm a muslim and i believe in god is completely ridiculous but that's their opinion you know this is what we need in our workspaces more sophisticated more intellectual more practical and to be honest with you more fun diversity and inclusion training not that tick box once a year, stick everyone in a room, training session, which does no good for anyone. That's what we need. And that's what I hope we get to. And I hope we can start something in the Northeast in that regard to show the world, not only how the Northeast can set a market for everyone else, but because the Northeast is made up of so many people of different backgrounds and cultures and creeds. Oh, it is. It is amazing. When, when I grew up, um, I come from Sunderland and I've literally only come across two people who didn't have white skin in all my life till I went to Coventry to, to, for university. And it was absolutely fantastic because I came across people from so many different ethnic backgrounds. The corner shop 
Whereas where I came from, you know, you, there would be tins of beans and white bread and that would be about it. It was just a riot of coriander and okra and all this different produce. It was absolutely blew my mind. It was so fantastic. So it was an education in a way that probably Coventry hadn't intended to give me, really, to be quite honest. Um, you, you've described now that a lot of companies are, are struggling to really put their inclusion uh, policies really in place in terms of causing act, creating an action. Why do you think that is? What are the challenges that they're facing? Is it because they're apathetic or is it because they don't know what they're going to do? I think what we find is there's a lack of specialists in the field. Uh, people are still walking in there, you know, giving, getting a, downloading a manual of 2021, what you need to be talking about in diversity and inclusion. That doesn't work. People with lived experiences, and let's break up diversity and inclusion. I, as a, as a Muslim man, an Asian man, I'm not going to talk on behalf of a black woman and her experiences of racism. Neither am I going to speak, speak about someone from the LGBT community and their experiences of xenophobia and prejudice towards them. So we need to break it up. But in that sense, people think, well, how much time can we dedicate to this kind of training? Let's not see it as training per se. Let's see it as development. Let's see it as growth. You know, get out of that training room. Take your employees. Visit a mosque. Visit a synagogue. Visit a church ask them different questions, you know, go and have some uh, team building days, morale building days, go out to the football together, understand that your Muslim employees can't join you for that infamous post-match, uh, post-work pint. You know, people have different cultural needs and religious needs, and let's treat it differently. Like that experience you've just described about going into the local shop and thinking, wow, look at all this different kind of food. Well, the staple diet of this curry, of this country is curry. And it just goes to show Typically, when we get something a bit different, we kind of like it. We think, hang on, when's that been all my life? So if you're a local employer, whether you work in, like I say, construction, in the retail sector, whatever sector you work in, find a way of getting out of, that, uh, out of the offices, go to a local mosque, speak to people like Media Cultured, let's get out there, let's get some growth, holistic, I think that's the word we're looking for, based on grassroots. You know, the media is not going to help in the kind of the, the polarisation the politics isn't helping with all the dog whistle nonsense that we see every single day. So let's take it upon ourselves to understand different cultures and communities. Let's not make, you know, the faces in our organisations just a tick box exercise. We've got to employ some somebody who's non-white or we've got to stick a woman on the board just in case somebody checks out our website. At least we'll have some of the, you know, let's not just do tokenistic uh, little, you know, initiatives and, uh, you know, just to placate the people that might be watching, let's do it for ourselves and our companies and our employees. We can make our companies better. We can make our towns and our cities better. We can make this country and the world better. There's so much we might want to talk about colonialism, uh, food, sport, racism, Black Lives Matter. There's a conversations there, but let's create spaces for those conversations to happen in a holistic way for growth. And then if we have challenges that we need to really unpack, in terms of extremism and radicalization, kind of again, the kind of specialist work that we do, then that's something that's a law and a duty upon us all to do. So it's a step-by-step -step process. Let's start now and let's make, again, like I say, ourselves better, our companies better, our world better. So just to pick you up on the point where you were saying people would be welcome to go and visit a mosque. Have you found that in the mosque that, that you go to that anybody has visited who wasn't your religion? Yeah, many, many times. We, in fact, have hosted uh, open days for, uh, there's been a couple of incidents. So I attend one or two of the mosques locally in Middlesbrough and 
Stockton. We've held interfaith days and open days when the mosques have been daubed with Islamophobic graffiti and abuse, windows have been put through. People have come and given flowers and shown solidarity. Typically, we've had uh, we've hosted Middlesbrough Football Club there a number of times, the Butterwick Hospice there. So the staff have come and visited. You know, we've facilitated that visit. Not to, there's no, what's the word for it? There's nothing about dogma and theology. It's just come and have a visit. Come and, you know, when we walk into a church, even as a Muslim, you feel that sense of serenity mm-hmm. and spirituality in a place, in a house of worship. That's what mosques are, houses of worship. And people are so surprised that they can come along and just visit and mosques are open 365 days a year, five times a day, the prayers are held in the mosque. And you can just knock on any, and I, I can vouch for this, you can knock on the door of any mosque in the country, as long as there's someone in, they'll answer and they'll welcome you in. You can ask them about our faith, you can ask them about the mosque, you can say, look, we're running an initiative, would you like to get involved? And the mosques are not, in, in the Islamic faith, mosques aren't just houses of worship in that sense. They are actually community centers, not just the Muslim community, for the whole community. So a place of peace, a place of solace, a, a place of solidarity, that what mosques are. And again, when we've held diversity inclusion training days, when we've understood and we've had workshops on the basics of Islam, we followed that up with a visit to a mosque. And people have been astounded. You know, the people have lived in the town for 30, 40, 50 years, and they've never, never felt the confidence or never felt like the need to go to the mosque just go and have a visit, half an hour, an hour out of your day, on a weekend, take your family, ask about the prayers, ask about what the beliefs are, and you'll find that we have so much in similarity with the Jewish faith and the Christian faith being part of the Abrahamic faiths, and people are blown away by this, and it's no secret to us, you know, it's a 1,400-year-old religion, and mosques have been around, and they're going to be around a long time, and come and visit anyone, anyone, any community, any background, any sexuality, you will not be turned away from a mosque by anyone, anyone in this country or in the Northeast, especially. So Newcastle Central Mosque, very open, Middlesbrough Mosque, Jamia Mosque, Abu Bakr and Central, all of them. I could name another 20, well, just for the sake of the podcast. If you want to get in touch with Kay ourselves to say, look, we would like to visit and formally, you know, get an invite, that's fine too. I'm definitely going to do that. I didn't realise that was the case. I would have thought, because obviously a lot of our churches are completely shut apart from Sundays or Sunday mornings, so for example. So the I didn't realise that they were open virtually 24-7 and so, so many days of the year. I think that would be fascinating for people. And you've actually answered another question I had, which was going to be, how would you go about having access that to see it? Because if everybody who listens to this and people who work for the chamber and connected to it, if everybody did that, and then told their friends and their networks, that would be really powerful in itself in terms of helping people to, to feel included because they would know more about your religion and people from your ethnic background. Yeah, I don't know, you've just used the word, brilliant word there, included. So again, inclusion works both ways. If, you ho- if you've got Muslim employees working for you and you're a retailer at Teesside Park, for example, and your salesman or the best salesman you've got is an Asian guy, a Muslim Pakistani guy, you know, yeah, you eat curry, he eats curry. You might talk about football and sport. You might learn a little bit about religion. What about go to the mosque? You know, what about go to his home? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so much to learn and enjoy and appreciate. Why do we go on holidays abroad? Why do we try different foods, Italian food, Chinese, Portuguese? You know, the wonderful cultures and creeds out there. As a Muslim, someone who's from the 
Pakistani background. My mom and dad were born and raised in Pakistan. I was born here. I see myself as a Middlesbrough lad. I see myself as English. I see myself foremost for me as Muslim. And I also see myself as a, someone who's from the UK. But I have all those parts of my identity from different heritages. But that doesn't preclude me from wanting to go to China or Brazil or Saudi Arabia and eat different food and learn a different language and learn something. And if I can do it and I want to do it, why not everyone do it? We're not that dissimilar from one another. You know, the job of any racist, when we talk about racism or any extremist, is to divide us by polarizing that debate about they're very different to us. They don't walk like us. They don't talk like us. They don't this, they don't that. It's all utter garbage. Everyone wants to be treated with respect. Everyone wants to have a roof over their head, some food on their table and a safe place to raise their kids. And the rest of it is just cultural differences. Some we like, some we won't, let's be honest. But get out there and learn as much as you can and adapt and change and grow. And again, when we're talking about businesses, the business mantra is this. If you're not moving forward, you're standing still. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. So don't stand still. Take that next step. Visit a mosque. Host culinary cuisine days. Get you know an outside caterer to come in and you know make up food. From a lot of people are surprised as a Pakistani Muslim who's grown up on a staple diet of curries and biryanis and pakoras and samosas. Fantastic. We have such a, an amazing culinary history. My favorite food is actually Lebanese food. And people, I thought you were saying palmo. You're not, you're not saying a palmo. But I love a palmo. Who doesn't love a palmo? But, you know, I, I really enjoy Turkish food and Lebanese food, Middle Eastern Mediterranean cuisine. I don't mind Italian food. So it's just, it's a personal growth thing. I think we should embrace it rather than use it as a way to be divided, which is what the racists want. Absolutely. And just to finish our podcast, could you leave, if there was one change that a company could do that would make a difference? You've listed, um, obviously, some fantastic ideas, but if somebody thinks, right, I just need to start small, what would you suggest? My suggestion would be get out of that comfort zone. Why not um, sponsor a, a visit to a mosque? So as a company you would like to sponsor your a partner company or uh, someone that you work with closely for their staff to have a visit to a mosque. And then that mosque gets a bit of a donation or you arrange for some food to be put down and it's all around inclusion and diversity and follow that up with a, a bit of a training session, but don't call it a training session. You know, uh, what's the word? Put your money where your mouth is. I know it sounds in the commercial sense, but really and truthfully, people are just ticking boxes. They're paying lip service. I know and I feel that you know, 99.99% of the human family wants the world to be a better place for less racism, less hate, less xenophobia, prejudice and misunderstandings. But the media, as I said, isn't going to help. The government are doing a terrible job. Let's put it that way. But it's up to us. So if you are a local company or a local employer, uh, very similar to the work that we've done with Middlesbrough Council and Middlesbrough Football Club and lots of other companies have done around the country is that they've taken that first step. They've reached out, reach out and say, come on, come in and, you know, we'll give the staff an hour or two off, come in and give a talk on Islam or on extremism or racism, just to have a conversation, you know, put some teas and digestive biscuits out and let's have a chat because don't just leave it to your training department to pick up the mantle of, you know, ticking a few boxes and making it a tokenistic thing. I, I actually hope that manager level uh, uh, or people are listening to this 
a podcast now and I'm, I'm going to put a challenge out there to them. Come on, step up to the mark. The North East is a wonderful place made up of brilliant, brilliant people who want the world to be a better place. If you run an organisation, reach out to the Chamber, reach out to me. Let's get some stuff done, you know, holistic grassroots work, which we can make your company better, make your uh, town and centre better, your town and your community better and ultimately make the world a better place. Reach out to someone, sponsor someone, uh, take on some extra training, get out of your uh, comfort zone and uh, let's make let's make those challenges to one another to help us all improve. That's fantastic. And it's a super note to end on. Um, just to close completely, we have our Chamber Race, Ethnicity and Discrimination Commission, which is working on the areas that you've talked about. And it's already done research into finding out why companies might be not inclusive, what they're finding difficult. And we're looking at doing a toolkit for companies so that that will help guide them to become more inclusive and identified ways, say, to do with um, promoting people who come from different ethnic backgrounds, why they might be held back. And that work's ongoing. But I know you spoke to the commission and they found your talk, similar to what you've said today, extremely powerful. And for anybody listening to the podcast who wants to know more, information about that is on the Chamber's website and also links to Amjid's business as well. So thank you so much. Is there anything finally you want to say before we shut down for today? No, well, thank you, Kay, for the opportunity to take part in this podcast. And yes, just going back on your comments on the, the RED Commission, you know, this is a fantastic initiative by the Chamber. We're really grateful to be involved. But again, I'd caveat that by saying toolkits are fantastic. Sending them out a PDF and encouraging people to buy into it, you know, it's an honourable thing to do. But really, the challenge is on the businesses. So we need more than toolkits. We need real buy-in. We need people to understand there are challenges out there. Let's get on board because ultimately, socially, culturally, ethically, morally, and for those businesses listening to this, commercially, it's the right thing to do. We need, we are making a start, a very, very small start with the commission to a very huge challenge, whether it's systemic racism, unconscious bias, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, diversity, inclusion, equity, safeguarding, education. I could go on, but we can funnel this and design these into workable, modern, sophisticated, legacy building, impactful training models, development models, which not only will set a benchmark in the Northeast, but hopefully will set a benchmark for the country. And I would honestly, I would be no more prouder than for the Northeast and the businesses of the Northeast to lead on this. And trust me, as someone who works in the field, there's a lot of work to do. And I want the Northeast businesses to, to pick up the challenge Let's do it together because there's so much to do. Let's set the benchmark and show the world the brilliant place it can be. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs>